I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And the letter to the church at Corinth, of course, was a letter from the Apostle Paul, and for the most part, is a letter written to a really good church. Uh, at the beginning of the letter, he tells them, you know, you guys come behind no other church that I know of in the manifestation of the power, the glory, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This was a, a great, great church. But like all churches, to become a member of that church, you have to be a sinner. Right? There is nobody who can enter the church, become a member of the church, until you are a card-carrying sinner. It's a requirement. And you have to be willing to admit it. Right? I'm a sinner. That's, that's all there is to it. There are some of you who are worse sinners than me, but I am a sinner. It's what I do. I do do it really well. It comes natural to me. I don't have to practice it. I don't even have to pray over it. I just do it. And and it always works great. That's what we are. And so Paul is writing this letter to this church made up of people just like us. But there are many things that he needed to correct them about. And I'm sure because you're well taught, you're very familiar with all of the different areas of ministry and fellowship where they were lacking. But one of the things that can happen is we're so careful to be sure that we're biblical in our worship of God, our witness of God, and our fellowship with one another, is we can become overwhelmed with just how sinful we can be, and we can forget who we are now in Christ. And I'm afraid that's happened a lot in the church today. And you see that because there are so many um, expressions of the church that are just not biblical. Some of them are not biblical because they're overly legalistic. And then there are some that are not biblical because they don't pay attention to the word of God at all. And either way, it leaves the world confused. What is the truth then? We're supposed to be the bearers of the truth. And if we're confused about that or have forgotten about it or have simply become careless about it, the world doesn't stand a chance, does it? And so as I read the paper, as I follow the news and I see what's going on in the world, the Lord keeps reminding me, Jeff, this is not the fault of the politicians. It's not even the fault of the educators. This is because the church has allowed the light of Christ to dim. And the world is left with a very confusing roadmap. And we have an opportunity to change that. Isn't that something? I love the verse that says God's mercies are new when? Every single morning. And that the Lord makes all things new. I like that too because I'm in that word all. (laughs) I'm included in that. And so if you're a bit frustrated with the world in which we live, I don't blame you. If you're a little bit discouraged because it doesn't seem like the church is making much of a difference, I'm with you in that. But what I do want to leave with you this morning is that it's not over. It's not done. Things are not going to get better, per se. But the church is going to shine. The church is going to shine because of Christ. 
Notice what he says here, beginning in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. And if you're confused about who those folks are, they're the people that get spoken about on Fox News every night. That's who they're talking about. Every single person that gets identified as a part of the problem, they fit into one of those categories. But I love this. He says, these folks will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, circle this word, such were. Past tense. Such were some of you. Yeah. I, I found my slipping into nearly every one of those sinful expressions at one time or another in my life. And that can leave you condemned, right? I mean, but that, remember that. The, the power of the law, the law that so many people attempt to live by, that rigid rule of rights and wrongs and do's and don'ts, that has no power to give you real life. The only power and the only authority that the law has is to condemn. That's all it was ever designed to do. It was never to be a roadmap for proper living. It was to show us that we can't do that life. And it was to drive us then to that place before the throne of God, the very mercy seat of God, sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb, where we would cry out and say, what, have mercy on us then, Lord. And God the Father looking down, not on you and me in our individual failure and sin, he would look down upon his Son, in whom he was well pleased. And because of the perfect life and the perfect sacrifice and the power and the glory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God the Father looks at you and me Described in those, those expressions of sin. And he says, I see you righteous. I see you clothed in the very righteousness of my son Jesus Christ. So the question comes out then. Who do you see yourself as being? Who are you? When you walked in here this morning. Who are you? Are you? Are you a sinner that's simply in need of forgiveness? Maybe you're a sinner that is in need of strength and power to overcome an area of weakness that you're ashamed of, that you would be you would be just devastated if anybody else found out about it. You see, from God's perspective, if you've given your heart to Christ, if you have surrendered to Jesus Christ, those things are no longer true of you. That's not who you are. 
And if it's not true of us individually as Christians, can I say that it's not true of the church? No matter what the world out there says about the church, it's not true of the church. Why? Because of what Paul continues to say here. Such were some of you. But notice again, all past tense verbs. You were washed. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have been washed from all the defilement of your failure and your sin. And he says, but you were, past tense, sanctified. Do you understand how precious a word that is? Sanctified. What that simply means is that God, looking down on all of humanity, he sees your desperate need. He offers his grace and mercy to you through Christ. You and your heart accept that, and God separates you to himself. It's like he draws you right in, and he gives you a big old hug. And he says, you're mine now. You're in my family now. You're no longer in the family of Adam. You are now in the family of my only begotten son, Jesus Christ. That's who you are. And not only are you washed and sanctified, but you are justified. Love the word. Past tense. In other words, God the Father looks down upon you and I today. And he knows the reality of who we are better than we do. Right? If anybody wanted to sink our ship, God the Father could sink that ship. Right? He knows everything. He knows not only every word that I've spoken. He knows not only every action I've taken. He knows not only every unrighteousness committed, but he knows every righteous act that I have failed to fulfill. He knows every thought. Trust me, that's scary. It's a scary thing. And yet, through Christ, he's able to justify me. In other words, he's able to accept me and relate to me now just as if I never sinned. I'm going to repeat that until somebody says amen, amen. or says hallelujah or says, wow, that's an awesome gift. Right? Thank you. It's all right. Listen, uh, <laughs> Most of my preaching gets done in prisons, and they are anything but polite. <laughs> they, they have no problem interrupting at any time. You know, so we get a lot of hallelujahs, a lot of amens, a lot of preacher brother. <laughs> you know, or a guy standing up and pointing to someone else in the room and saying, you better listen. <laughs> we get some of that. But the reason I wanted to, to go through this, this idea of you and me, we're washed. We've been washed. We've been sanctified. We've been justified in the name of the Lord. That's the authority that we have and that 
was used to bring about this incredible gift of change for you and I. And it's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, co-equal with God the Father, God the Son, and yet he is man who has come fully clothed in human flesh, tempted in every way as you and I are, but never sinning. This Jesus, and then by the Holy Spirit of God. You see, thank you. Apart from the Holy Spirit, you, you, you don't know Jesus. Or the Jesus you think you know is not the right Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal to you who Jesus truly is. Uh, now again, we, we go into uh, two different prisons down in North Carolina. And uh, I'll tell you right up front, I'm so thankful for all of you because a part of your mission support comes to us and helps us do that. And so thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that. Uh, the prison system in North Carolina, uh, from what I hear, like every other prison system, is changing. Uh, when politicians get involved with things, they always improve, right? <laughs> no, the... the the prison system in North Carolina is changing from being a part of the DPW, Department of Public Works, and it is now going to be under its own heading, the Department of Corrections. So the politicians are circling like sharks. You know, who is going to be in control? How much money is going where, when, and to who? Who is going to be responsible for it? And so I've been a volunteer in, this, in these two prisons down there. I've had offices in both of those prisons. I was the chaplain in both of those prisons. It cost the prisons absolutely nothing. They never had to sign anything. They've done nothing for us at all until not too long ago. They called me into the office. The warden called me into the office and he says, Pastor Breed. I said, yes, sir. He says, I have to fire you. I said, well, you're not paying me. <laughs> how does that work and he's well because you will not sign all the documentation agreeing to oversee all the religions of every individual that comes into the prison Raleigh says you can't do this job anymore so you're dismissed yeah, amen, amen. And you know, that, that was really my attitude because, not because I don't love the men there and I don't love preaching the word of God there and doing the things that we do there. Uh, it wasn't for that. But another thing that many of you may not know that Lynn and I have gotten involved in over the last two and a half years or so is we have been getting calls from the head of Calvary chapels in the southeast and when a church finds itself in trouble, uh, it's usually the pastor's fault. So keep an eye on Rob, all right? I mean, just, just watch him closely. But it's usually, it's usually the pastor. And uh, so now we have become uh, a couple that, that they call us and ask us to go into those churches and help sort out the problem and hopefully correct the problem. So we did that up in Virginia. Wonderful group of people. And got that church restored and back on its feet. And it's doing really, really, really well. Uh, wonderful folks there. 
And then this past year, we got called to go out to Hatteras Island. And I know you all think, oh boy, that's really tough. You get to go out to Hatteras Island. It's four and a half hour drive from our house to where we have to be in Hatteras Island. And it's a four and a half hour ride if you're 30 and younger. Are you tracking with me? Everybody that understands just a little amen would help. Amen. Okay? So we know a lot of gas stations. We know a lot of restaurants. We know a lot of stopping places between our house and Hatteras. Come quickly, Lord. <laughs> so, yeah, amen for that. So, um, so we drive out there every... Uh, Saturday, and uh, we initiated a prayer meeting. They had stopped having prayer meetings. And, uh, and then we would do their Sunday morning service, and then we would drive back home Sunday afternoon. And it's something that you could continue to pray about. It's, it, the church is changing from an independent church to a Calvary chapel, and that should happen here in the very, very near future. And uh, the problem there was we had to dismiss the pastor for uh, behavior issues. And uh, so we're in the process of looking for a new pastor for that church. And, uh, and yeah, my wife, not me, not me. And uh, so you could pray for that. Calvary Chapel of Hatteras Island, be praying that the Lord raises up a pastor for them that will love on them and feed them and nurture them and guide them and be a good example for them. So that, that's what we've been doing. And, and one of the things that we have discovered, again, is we've been in this process of helping that church out and a church down in Florida as well, uh, our own church at Chapel Hill in North Carolina, is that Christians have forgotten who they are because they've lost sight of what Jesus has done for them and provided for them. And the idea of you've been washed. You've been washed with the blood of Jesus Christ. Think of that. So are you still a sinner struggling? We, we get a lot of that in the, in the prison, especially we do a drug and alcohol program there. And, well, I've been addicted to this and that and the other thing, and I always will be. And I, well, do you want to be then? Is that what you want? You want to be addicted to that for the rest of your life? Well, no. Well, my Bible tells me that if you come to Christ, the old things pass away and all things become brand new. In fact, you are a new creation. God doesn't create new creations as alcoholics and drug addicts. Doesn't do that. He creates new people with the very image of Christ developing within them. 
You've been washed. And you've been sanctified. You've been set apart. You're not on your own any longer. You, you no longer have to work this out and make the improvements yourself. This is something God has set you apart. And when God sets something apart, he has a purpose for it. And God's promise that whatever his purpose for your life is, he will provide everything necessary for you to experience that life. He won't leave you hanging. And he justifies you. Your conscience may remind you of past failures. Family may remind you of past failures. People around you may remind you of past failures. We live in a system that reminds us constantly of how dependent we are on our government and everything else. Jesus Christ came to set you free. And the Bible tells us whom the Son has set free is what? Free indeed. Period. We're free of that. that that's not something we have to live within or live dependent upon. In fact, we're not to be influenced by that. We are to be the influence on them. We don't need them. They need our Savior. And so remember who you are, Christian. Remember who you are. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul, again in the beginning of the chapter, he reminds us, of, of where we were, he says, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's, that describes the way every single one of us were born into this world. We were born into this world dead to God in trespass and sins, in which we once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Two best words in all of the Bible. But God. Right. What we were, God looked at it and said, I can't have this. I don't want this. This doesn't fulfill my purpose and plan. I'm doing something about it. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. You know, some people struggle with God's mercy. And they carry around guilt with them all the time. Listen, God's mercy is extended to you and me constantly, never withheld from us. It is constantly held out to us because of a greater quality, which is God's love. See, and God's love never fails. It never runs out. We never tap the Lord of all of his love. And he gets to the place of saying, I've had it. I'm done with you. No, that's why it's so precious when it refers to Jesus as what? The author and the finisher of our faith. 
the beginning and the end of our faith, the alpha and the omega of our faith, the A to the Z of our faith, he is the one who began it, continues it, and will finish it. And we spend a lot of time talking about this in the prisons. I mean, think of the environment these men are in. They, they lose their identity. They're just a number. That's who they are. They all have a number. They all dress exactly the same. <laughs> Linda Ray, be nice. They all dress exactly the same. Depending, you know, on what prison you go to. If you're just getting into the system and uh, you're going to end up in a really hard, hard place, you're, you're going to have one color on. And then if you move from that prison to another prison with more privileges in it, you'll have a different set of clothing. The two prisons we go to, uh, they're honor prisons, believe it or not. One of them is long-term and one of them is short-term. Uh, one of them, they wear tan. That's all they wear is tan. And the other one wears kind of a green color, which is problematic because one of my favorite sweaters, <laughs> it's a true story, uh, I have this one sweater, and it's sort of a green color. I don't know what you really call it, but it's kind of a green color. And it was one of those nights in North Carolina. It was cool. So I thought, well, I'm going to wear the sweater. So I wore the sweater, and I walked in, and it dawned on me as soon as I walked in. The guards, if they came in, they would not be able to tell the difference between them and me. And the guys were loving it. <laughs> they were loving life. They were like... He's one of us. Yeah. So what were you in for? <laughs> There's a lot of things I could be in for that, praise the Lord, I'm not. And, and so they lose their identity. I mean, you become a number, you all dress the same, uh, you eat the same food every single day, you have the same routine every day, your bunk looks the same, your blanket looks the same, your locker looks the same, everything is exactly the same. There is no individualism in there, there is no individual thing. The, in fact, really the only thing that sets them apart from one another is tattoos. That's the big deal, tattoos. And they do tattoo themselves. Many of them come in with tattoos, and we're thankful for that because that helps us identify where they come from, the gang that they've been a part of, and their rank within the gang, and how many men they've killed. That's how we can tell right away, because they wear it. It's like a badge of honor. But their, their individualism is gone in prison. And you know what? In our world, it's becoming more and more like that, right? We're being forced to fit into a mold. And, and the governments are attempting to try to identify us by group rather than dealing with us as an individual. But God doesn't deal with us that way. He deals with you personally. Why? Because God is rich in mercy. 
He's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So not only is it important for us to understand who we are now, But really, what is the basis of our very being? What is the foundation of our being? What is the placement of our being? Are we simply earth dwellers attempting to improve our lives sufficiently that we can justify having a hope that one day we're going to go to heaven? Now, if you're born again, and you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, you are the temple of the living God. And you are right now, from God's perspective, seated in heavenly places in Christ. It is finished. That's Man, that was such an all-inclusive cry from the cross that Jesus gave us. It's done. And so I'm none of those things anymore that that we looked at. That's not who I am. That doesn't identify me. It doesn't limit me. That's not who I am. I've been justified and I've been sanctified and I've been set apart for God's own purpose. And now, in spite of all of my failure, in spite of the ruler of this world setting himself against me, God, my Father who is rich in mercy for the love wherewith he has loved me, and never stopped. Even when I couldn't love me. God still loved me. Think of your lowest moment. When you couldn't love yourself anymore. God still loved you. I don't know about you. But boy I'll tell you. I'm so thankful for that. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest joys I have now is to stand in front of men who have no concept of what it's like to be loved. And to remind them, you're right, the guards don't love you. You struggle to love one another. Some of the volunteers that come in here to serve, they don't love you. They just come in so they can say they're involved in a prison ministry. Some of you, you're right. Your own parents can't find it within themselves to love you anymore. Men, your wives have given up on you, dismissed you, moved on from you. They don't love you anymore. Your children, they don't know what to do. They want to love you because that's how God has programmed kids. They want to love their parents. But they don't know what to do with you. They, you're absent and their mama is telling them that you're no good. That's who these men are that we're ministering to every week. It's heartbreaking to see them. But God who is rich in mercy. That's what I get to do. Is to introduce them to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that they've all heard about, but they've never experienced him. 
and the only way they're ever going to experience them is by being with people who are walking with him, relating with him day by day. And that's true of the person that lives next door to you, works next to you, shops next to you, whatever it is. The only way that they're really going to meet the true and the living God is if you let them see him through you. So yeah, I got a really tough ministry. I got to go in and love on men who are like sponges because no one else will love them. And I get to tell them, you know what? When it's all said and done, you give your heart to Jesus, you're going to be standing before God Almighty and there's not going to be a soul in heaven anywhere in the universe that's going to dare to bring an accusation against you ever again. Now, the prison gives us a pretty extreme way of looking at that. But what I'm hoping you're, you're hearing is that that is true of every unbeliever in your life. One day, through your witness, through your testimony, through your prayer, through your encouragement, Jesus Christ is going to present them before the throne of his Father, spotless and without blemish. And you're going to get to stand there and watch it and just smile. You may be so overwhelmed with the grace and the glory of God at that moment that whatever crowns you may have earned while serving him here, you're going to cast them at his feet in pure adoration. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, who's created all things, and for your good pleasure they have been created, O Father. Don't forget why we're here. We're not here to play church. We're not here to have a church. We have been placed here, kept here as ambassadors for Christ. And in the name of Jesus, to go out and to let people know the battle that you're in has been won. Won't you come to the standard bearer, Jesus himself, and let him welcome you out of the fight and into the comfort of home. Don't let your Christianity turn inward. The very love that God has loved you with, share it. Give it away. Give it away gets better here he's done all of this verse 7 that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and not out of yourself it is the gift of God nor of works lest anyone should boast for we are his workmanship 
Anybody remember what that word was in the, the original language, workmanship? Poema. Right? It's the word that we get our word poem from. In other words, the Holy Spirit of God through Paul is saying, listen, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're born again, you are now God's poem. Right? He, he's the poet. You're the poem. Your, your life is an expression of his creative, loving heart. That's who you are. Now, the devil isn't going to come alongside and say, really proud of you, champ. I mean, he's not going to do it. He's going to remind you every moment of every day that you allow him, he's going to remind you of what you were. And he's going to try to convince you that you will never be anything but that. And he's going to convince you, you have no right to share the love of God with anybody, the truth of God with anybody, the gospel of Jesus Christ with anybody. But that's his opinion. God's opinion is different. He sees you perfect and complete in Christ. That's who you are. You're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. <laughs> Even the things, you know, before I was a Christian, there were things I was doing, I thought they were good things. And since I've become a Christian, I've come to discover that even the good things I thought I was doing before I was a Christian were not good things. Why? Because even if outwardly they appeared to be good things, the motivation inside was evil and wicked and selfish. And that's where God meets us, isn't it? He's not impressed with the outward. That doesn't impress him at all. He's looking right straight into our eyes and saying, why are you doing that? Really? We were created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Another thing that we spend a great deal of time uh, with the prisoners, because think of it, I mean, Let's say you're 20 years old and you get busted selling drugs, robbing a liquor store, stabbing somebody, shooting somebody, raping somebody. And you find yourself in prison. And you're 20 years old and your sentence is 20 years or 30 years. What's your mindset? My life is done. Right? When you're 20, to be thinking ahead to being 40 or 50 years old? No, that's old people. I don't know what they think of me. You know, it's, it's like guys on life support or something. I don't know what, what's up with this guy. But when you're 20 years old and you get thrown in the slammer, you, and you have a 20-year sentence on your life or a 25-year sentence or a 30-year sentence. And believe me, we have a lot of guys that are lifers. They're never going to get out, ever. And it's right that they don't get out. What they did, they need to be incarcerated. Don't get me wrong. 
can you imagine just for a minute what it's like for them every day to get up and to make a decision? All right, who do I want to be today? What do I want to do? Is there any value to my life? Is there any purpose to me doing anything for anyone else? That's a huge, huge ravine to have to get over. So that's another big part of my place with them, is to tell them, listen, why are you in prison? And they'll all come up with a reason, you know. Well, the DA had it in for me. No, the judge wouldn't listen. My lawyer was a hack. He was no good, you know. I was falsely accused. Listen, everybody in prison is innocent. You know that, right? They're innocent till they come to Christ. I mean that seriously. When they come to Christ, they all of a sudden go, I deserve to be here. Now you've got a chance. Now there's an opportunity for your life to become something worthwhile. Right? Because what's the Bible tell us? We have not because what? We ask not. And we, we don't ask because we don't have the, the, the grace, we don't have the mercy, we don't have the wisdom to say, I need. And so it becomes really evident when a man in prison comes to the place of saying, you know what, Chappie, I, I need to have what you have. I need to know the Savior that you know. And this past year, uh, right after COVID nonsense was lifted, <laughs> uh, we were able to baptize. I forget how many guys, honey, do you remember? It was a dozen or eight or nine guys? Okay, eight or nine guys. We were able to baptize, and it was, oh man, I wish I could take a camera in and take pictures of it, because it's amazing. They, have, they had a baptism thing in the prison, just like the ones that you guys have here. And so we hauled it out into the yard. Okay? And when I got there and got in, they already had the baptism all filled up. <laughs> the guys on the worship team that have come to Christ and now are serving the Lord in the prison, they had chairs set up in a big circle all around the, the baptismal. And guys were coming from all over the camp, and they wanted to come and see this event. And it was amazing. And there were, there were guys in there that were kind of quiet and watching. There were other guys that were there you know, whistling and hollering and screaming and making a mockery of everything when we first began. But what we would do is we would have each one of these guys come in and, and I'd have them come into the water and I would have them state their name, not their number, their name. Who are you? I would state their name. Why are you here? Not because of a conviction, not because of a crime committed. I am here today because Jesus Christ died for me and he rose again and I want to be baptized. I want to be identified with him. And we would dunk them and up they would come. And it was amazing. The first couple of guys, there was a lot of hooting and hollering and everything, but the further into it we got, the quieter it got. Ben just watched. We saved the, the last guy. Oh, I wish I could bring him here and just 
introduce him to you guys. He's a young guy. He's, he's only 28. And he's serving two consecutive life uh, sentences. He, he murdered two people. And uh, big guy. I mean, this guy, I don't know, he's bigger than you, Richard. He's, he is like up here big, right? Probably weighs 280, somewhere in there. I mean, he is built like a tree. And he's got a smile just as big. When he came to the Lord, it was like he melted the place. And he went from being the most feared man in the prison. He went from that then to being the most misunderstood man in the prison. They couldn't make head or tails of him. They didn't know what to do with him. Guards didn't know what to do with him. It used to be the guards would avoid him. Because he was the ruler. Big man. And now the guards can't get away from him. Hey, brother, God bless you. <laughs> He's at every Bible study. He comes to the Beyond Addictions program, although drugs and alcohol was not his problem, but he just can't get enough of the Word of God. So we baptized him last, and he was asking me, why are you baptizing me last? And I said, well, because if I put you down in the water, all the water's going out of the tank. I won't be able to baptize anybody else. And he just laughed. He thought it was glorious, you know. So we did. We put him down. It took three of us to get him up out of the water again. And he just beamed and praised you, God. So thankful. He was a murderer, angry, vicious man. He is now a child of God. Yeah. That's who he is. And you're going to meet him one day. You're going to meet him in glory. <laughs> Just hug him. Don't try to resist him. He'll, he'll put a hurting on you. Just... Let them hug you. Let's finish with this. I know I'm keeping you guys over, but you're used to it. Uh, <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10. You know what's cool, too, is in the prisons, right? They try to always limit the time, but uh, over, over the last, I don't know how many months, they've gotten new guards in, and a lot of the guards are saved. And uh, which is, whew, that is a huge, huge help. And so now... When the guards used to come and they would try to dismiss us and everything, they would be polite, but they would try to dismiss us. And now the guards come in and they sit down. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Amazing thing to see. Notice with me verse 22, just through verse 25, three exhortations that I want to leave with you. First, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. What you were, but now what you are. We're in Hebrews 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart 
in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, right? That's the blood of Jesus. You, are, you were this once. You are now this because the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to your life. And then have your bodies washed with pure water. That's hopefully what we're doing right now. We've, we're saved because we're washed in the blood of Jesus. We continue to grow through the process of sanctification and being set apart for his glory by the washing of the water of the word. We need to have the world that we live in and its influence, its thinking, its priorities, everything else. We have to have those things washed out of our mind out of our soul, out of our spirit. And the way we do that is to stay in the word of God. Challenge you again. If you're not reading all the way through the Bible once every single year, you are missing out on so much. You, you're just, you're missing out. God has so much for you. Just come to the well. Let him talk to you. Do you know God the Father wants to talk to you? There are things you need for him to say to you. And you're not giving him a chance to say it. He'll speak to you through his word. Oh, he's got wonderful things to tell you. I'm well pleased with you. I'm never going to cast you out. I've started something in you. Do you feel it? And I know you don't think I can see it through, but I can, and I'm going to. I know you don't think you're worthy right now to stand before me one day, but I'm going to have you there, and baby, you're going to be gorgeous. He's, he's going to do it. Second, let us, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. I wish I could tell you that my faith is always solid and strong, and never, ever shaken at all. No, I'll be honest with you and tell you that sometimes really what just keeps me going from one day to the next, from one visit at the prison to the next, from one church struggling to the next, is I just have this hope that God's word is true, his promises are going to be kept, and that ultimately he wins. Let, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful I know you all think that there are things in your life that you've asked God for he's not done he said no to and it's easy to kind of get the attitude of well see he doesn't answer every prayer yeah listen when he says no it's because what you asked him for was stupid that's all. It was the wrong thing. It wasn't what was best for you. Your father in heaven loves you so much that he, he'll say no when we ask for something a little less than his best. He wants his best for you. He really, he wants you to shine. He, he, wants, he wants you to rejoice. He wants you to be at peace. He wants you to be useful. He wants people to look at your life and go, wow. He really does. 
And then let us finally consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhort one another. You can't exhort somebody that you're not with. Oh, I know, you can text and do all that, but let's be honest with you. When you get a text from somebody and it begins with, you know, brother, the Lord showed me something to tell you. What do you do with that text? I'll tell you what I do with it. Junk. It's gone. Listen, if God wants to tell me something, he's going to tell me. And if I don't listen the first time, you know what he's going to do? He's going to tell me again. And if I continue to not listen to him, he's going to get my attention. He has ways of doing that, doesn't he? Hello? Doesn't he? Yes. <laughs> oh, my So exhort one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I see the day approaching. I'm not not praying for the healing or the health of this country. I'm not. I'm not praying for the peace of the world. I'm praying for that. Not praying for prosperity for everybody. I'm not praying for healing for everybody. I'm not. I'm praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And Lord, awaken the church in these last days. Lord, we've lost some of our saltiness and we've lost our ability to let your light shine through us. We, we're sorry, Lord. We, we need for you to begin again, Lord. Do some new, fresh thing in us, Lord. Lord, we've attempted to play church, be church, do church, apart from the leading and the power of your Holy Spirit. And so there's, no, there, there's nothing sparkling about it. There's, there, there's nothing startling about it. it. It doesn't cause the world to stop and say, whoa, what was that? And when the Holy Spirit moves, and I believe he's going to move, and any individual believer who's willing to let him move, people, beginning in the church and then outside the church, are going to take notice. They're going to take notice. Our God's not dead. Our God is not done. And our God is not disappointed with you. He loves you. He's been waiting for a long, long time to show you what he's willing to do for you and through you. Would you stand? Let's just ask him today to help us get to that place, huh? (laughs) Father, just a precious group of people here, Lord. You know that better than anybody. Father, a a group of people, Lord, uh, many different hearts expressed here Lord some doubting some struggling some hurting Father hopefully all hopeful that God in spite of failings this week Lord sins of commission sins of omission that God you're not done that you're going to continue that Father the blood of Jesus Christ still powerful and effective to cleanse us from all unrighteousness as we simply come into agreement with you. 
And Lord, so thankful that we have a great high priest, an advocate before you, Father, who stands for us. And Father, through his spirit, he stands with us. He's your son, Father. We would ask you right now, Lord, not to see us individually in our failures and our weaknesses, our bad habits, Lord, things we still struggle with, but to see us, Father, complete and perfect in your Son, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, would you continue to work in every single one of us, changing us, conforming us into the very likeness of of Jesus. We, we need so much to be more like you. And the world around us needs to see you in us, experience you through us, to be touched by you as we stay in contact with them as well. So Lord, please bless this group, Lord. Please encourage them, anoint them this day, Father, and send them into all the world to make disciples, to teach them everything that you've taught them. And Lord, to do it with the confidence that you'll never leave them, never forsake them, even to the end of the world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.